0: So let's pretend here that we're having a fantasy draft and you are the general manager of a team. You got to pick between only one of them. Are you starting a franchise with Shohei Otani or Fernando Tatis Jr.?
1: I'm starting with... Rushing.
0: And viva Los Angelitos and welcome to Halos in the infield. I am Fernando Mendez. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm joined here by the other co-host, Andrew Ciccarelli. Andrew, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing pretty good. Pretty excited.
0: I am as well. This has been a long time coming uh, and he is uh, generous enough to join us. Mark Sweeney, former major leaguer. Uh, and uh, if you recognize his voice, you've probably heard him from either Fox Sports San Diego, Valley Sports San Diego, or the Fox Network. Mark, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Fernando. Thanks for having me. How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing pretty great. Uh, thanks so, so much for coming on. I know
2: I told you on the phone earlier that uh, how big of a fan I am. I, I'm a, the biggest diehard Padre fan.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. And uh, the Padres are an exciting team to watch now. Last year didn't finish off the way they wanted to, but hopefully they they get this all settled and they get to see an exciting team that uh, has a new manager as well. Uh,
2: yeah. You're telling me this is just the best time to be a Padre fan right now.
1: It is it's um, it's exciting because you know, it's been a long time coming the process for uh, this front office. AJ Preller has, has, uh, has made some really exciting moves, um, but I think it's starting to come together. Last year, uh, believe it or not, I thought they taught themselves a lot in the first half of the season. And uh, like anything, and I take myself back to being a player, um, when you go through failures in this game, you grow. You grow stronger. And I think that's going to happen, especially with a younger uh, roster, along with some veteran guys in in Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer, um, along with a lot of guys in the bullpen. Uh, They learned a lot from last year, I'm sure. I think there's a resurgence, like I said. Bob Melvin, being a manager coming over from the Oakland A's, and we know how much success he's had. Um, I think it's a great time to be a Padre fan, and uh, obviously the excitement is is in front of them.
2: Oh, but that's that's great to hear. I honestly, I, I eat up anything that's Padres, and when they got Bob Melvin, that was like the best news.
1: It sure was. I mean, uh, you're, you're talking about a manager that has. Uh, all kinds of, of attributes behind them. And first and foremost, I, I think there's a lot of value in having a manager that's played the game before. Um, I think if Padre fans understand this, having Bruce Bochi at the helm for so long, understanding that's kind of a nice formula that works here. Um, not that you can't have it where uh, it's, it's a manager that hasn't played the game before. I just think it's, it's the intangible, that works, especially when you go through some hardships that a lot of people that have played this game understand. It happens every day. Um, so Bob Melvin's going to resonate with this with this roster. I think it's a nice change. Um, but man, uh, you just look at the way he represents himself, the way he is thought of, and throughout the game, it's a very exciting uh, thing. To if I'm Manny Machado, if I'm Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, If I'm Jake Cronenworth and I'm Eric Hosmer, I'm excited for this change. I'm excited for uh, knowing that I can walk into his office and get the truth, get a realization. He's a players manager, but also he has a lot of respect, like I said, around the game. Oh, that's great.
2: Uh, Have you had a chance to meet him or will, will you get a chance to meet him during the season?
1: I'm sure I will. I mean, it all depends on how all these restrictions are. I've met Bob Melvin before. We did his press conference when he first uh, um, um, was uh, introduced to the the media. Um, sat down with him along with Mike Pomeranz, the guy that I work with on pre and post game show. It, 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 it resonates immediately. Um, the command he has in a room, the understanding of, of people, there's there's a lot of positives to go along with that but yes he's um uh, from my perspective he's very exciting as well. This podcast
0: is brought to you by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. In fact, we use Podbean to host Halo's in the Infield. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record and publish your very own podcast in just minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast And you can record and publish episodes directly on the app from your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Viva Los Angelitos and Viva Podbean. That's great. All right, Mark. So before we uh, get into, you know, the podcast you're doing now, and even before we get to the 14 years in the majors, let's take it back to Holliston High School. So you helped lead your high school uh, to one of six state championships in football as the quarterback. Oh, and the following year, you did it for baseball. So what are the things that you remember most when you think about those back-to-back years that you spent at Holliston High School?
1: It's funny, Fernando, I'm, I'm raising uh, two stepdaughters that are, are 21 and 18, and I also have a 10-year-old son, and I always say the same thing. It's about the relationships you have and what you build um, for anyone that's played um, lower level sports, high school sports, whether you have the for- good fortune to go and play in college or even further that after that, it really becomes the relationships that you rely on. Um, Everything that happened in high school was because we had a lot of talent. We had a lot of uh, guys that they would grind it out. But more importantly, off the field, we were close. And I think that has a lot to do with it, a lot to do with sports. Um, If you're a guy that's super talented out there and you don't uh, really resonate with your teammates, uh, typically that team uh, doesn't win on a consistent basis. Um, so that's what I look back on in, in Holliston and being able to grow up and, and wonder what's next, what's going to happen. Am I going to get a chance to go to the next level? That's the fun part of knowing that, man, when you play in those championship games, as you mentioned, sometimes it, it's, it just stirs inside you, man, I, I'd give anything to do that at the college level. And then you do it in college level and you're saying, man, I'd give anything to do it at at the pro level. I wonder if I'm going to have that chance. And I I've just been blessed beyond belief, but like I say, Fernando, to everybody and all the kids out there and including my son, including my daughters, uh, you work hard and you, uh, listen and learn, you watch, you understand, uh, that you have individual growth, but you also mesh with your teammates and I think that's resonated with me all the way from high school.
0: Yeah, man, you got a family of athletes. I mean, anybody who follows you on Instagram, you know, they see your daughters uh, playing volleyball, you know, your sons doing everything. I don't, I don't, you lit baseball, golf, football. I mean, what doesn't your kids do at this point, right?
1: Well, it's good to have them active. I'm super proud of my stepdaughters. One's at UCLA, um, the 21 year old. She's a sophomore eligibility this year. And she's starting her season in a couple weeks. Um, but they came in second to USC last year in the national championship. So she got to experience that, which is great. Super proud of her. And then our 18 year old is a senior at Torrey Pines high school in San Diego here. And she's going to Arizona state next year to play beach volleyball as well. Uh, following her sister's footsteps. Um, it's really exciting to know that they're doing that. My 10 year old is just trying to figure out every sport he enjoys and uh, you, you never know what direction he's going to go. A lot of people ask it what his favorite is and he says baseball, but man, you know what? I just encourage him to play as many sports as he can, find something he loves and be passionate about what you do. So I haven't pushed him towards baseball, even though he enjoys it. Um, I just don't think that's that's uh something i want to do but man i'm proud of all three of them i'm proud of my wife uh that's that's really encouraged them to be active and and push for their goals and uh do more important things in, in their in their life and have good balance whether it's athletics academics and things like that but man we're super proud and and um you know follow me on instagram is is nice it's uh I I try to show people that we are out there, and including all of this pandemic stuff that we go through, um, we're out there playing sports, being active, but being responsible and and having the best life we can. But also, uh, what means the most is is our family love and and support.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, as a parent myself, I mean, I've got a a six year old, about to be seven, and you know, he's starting to get into the baseball. He's, you know, he did some swimming. And, um, man, like going through stuff yourself as you're growing up is fun and awesome, but there is nothing like seeing your kids go through it and be happy and get enjoyment out of the stuff that you enjoy. And that's honestly the, the most fulfilling thing in the world to me.
1: Yeah. So I, can't, I, I would I,
0: imagine you feel the same.
1: Yeah, I, I do. Fernando, I, it's such a good point. Um, you know, last night we're playing a, a rec basketball game, um, for Gavin and, and just enjoying it. And. And the reason why I mentioned that is that there's one boy on the team that, that scored his first bucket last night, and his expression on his face after he scored was, was priceless. Um, that's, what you, that's what you go on, because that's what starts. Um, my, my son had an opportunity to play on a, a, a semi-travel league this year, and he hit his first home run. And that moment changes you. It changes your perspective. It gives you confidence, and there's so many great things that sports bring. Obviously, it's the it's the understanding that you're you're trying to balance your life, know what you have to do in school, and do well in school, but also um, go out there and encourage kids to go out there and and um, and push for what they they fall in love with. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to it, and and you're gonna have fun with your son as well.
0: So uh, let's push through to, uh, to after high school. You went to Maine. You signed on to be a quarterback. Um, so what was it like to balance football, school, and baseball all at the same time? Walk me and maybe some of the other kids listening to this through that.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my first love was football. Um, I always say this, Fernando, and it shocks a lot of people, especially with being in Southern California here. Everyone has to choose or most kids have to choose so early what sport they love. And the reason why I say that, my first love was football. Um, Growing up, I played three sports in high school, actually ran track my senior year. uh, So four sports I played, um, but I I fell in love with football. So I had the opportunity to go to University of Maine and be able to play two sports. And that's very rare. Not saying this, but uh, as Angel fans, you know, Bo Jackson um, went to big league camp with him. Obviously, it's not a Bo Jackson scenario where he played two sports professionally. Um, I got to go up to college and be able to choose. So my freshman year, I was on the football team. I was third string quarterback. Absolutely loved it. Um, Loved the program, loved the players, had really good friends and continue to have friends that were on the football team. And I had the agreement that I could play baseball as well. So I got to play baseball in the spring. I missed fall baseball uh, because of football, but um, we went into spring baseball and uh, we had five freshmen at the time end up playing on our spring trip, which is 17 games down in Florida. And we came back from that trip and everyone was talking about the freshman class, including myself. And I had a choice to make because the football team came in and they offered me a full scholarship without playing it down my freshman year. So when I do that, um, I'm offered a full scholarship, and I was wondering why I was offered a full scholarship. Well, you 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 read between the lines and you understand football wanted me full time. And this was after my success uh, for two and a half weeks with the baseball program and they were all talking about our freshman class, as I mentioned. So I had to make a decision and I called my parents and I said, Mom and Dad, um, I'm gonna have to give up my partial football scholarship. They offered me a full scholarship, which is really cool, but I have to give up my football scholarship because they're pulling me away from baseball. And I don't think that's fair. Um, So I think baseball is probably the best route um professionally and also longevity wise without the injury factor so it was a big decision i had to make um i was the youngest of four boys to mention that so the pressure of my parents having to pay a little bit for college and do loans and all that stuff that i had to do um it was a nerve-wracking decision but it was probably the best decision i've ever made and the reason why i say that is i fell in love with baseball when I got to college. And that's probably the shocking statement because of what kids have to do on this this stage now when you're 11, 12 years old and you got to pick a sport. And a lot of parents feel like these kids are so far behind if they don't play constantly. Well, I disagree with that. Uh, The reason why I disagree with it is that I did it all the way up to college. Uh, I know things have changed. Uh, but they haven't changed that much. And I'll tell you the benefit of why I played other sports. Uh, I missed football when I wasn't playing football. I missed baseball when I wasn't, wasn't playing baseball. And that's enough motivation to know that if I feel like I'm behind, I got to work my tail off to get back. So that was an encouraging thing that I did. Uh, long story short, I, I, I played my freshman year as a freshman All-American in Maine for baseball. The head coach, I went up to him and asked him if I could get a scholarship after I made that decision with football. And he said, no, not right now, but we'll, we'll reassess it on my, uh, on your, uh, in the fall. So I played as a freshman All-American. He gave me a full scholarship all the way through the last three years and, and also paid for my spring that I gave up for football. So everything worked out financially for my parents and myself through that. But more importantly, I made a career decision that really benefited. And I fell in love with baseball, as I said, which is most important of that story. But that's basically way, the way it went at the University of Maine. I missed football. I was around my friends all the time that I made in football. But man, did I miss that competition part? Because like I said, that was my first love. Uh, But obviously, I made a very good decision.
0: Yeah, it's funny how life has a way of working itself out, right? You know, you were obviously worried about the financials for your parents. But, uh, you know, the stars obviously aligned for you. And they especially aligned for you in 1991. You were nominated for a Golden Spikes Award. So you batted 394, 22 stolen bases, 80 RBIs, 23 home runs in 65 games. But the one that really stands out to me, the 502 on base percentage, (laughs) Mark, that's insane. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Fernando. I'll tell you. Obviously, on base percentage was was important back then, but now it has more importance. Um, I was I benefited from a lot at the University of Maine, and I say that because I had a head coach in John Winken, who has since passed away, unfortunately. Um, ran a great program, but I had I had an assistant coach named Mike Coots who. Uh, everyone has a story about a coach that that really makes an impact on them. And Mike Coots made an impact on me at, at the University of Maine. He was always there for me. He encouraged me to, to push. And, and like you mentioned, uh, being in the Golden Spikes Award as my se- and in my senior year and, and going through that, which is the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy in football, um, and being from University of Maine, that was through a lot of hard work Individually, but also collectively, Mike Coots and all my teammates um, pushed me towards that. So you understand it all. Always circles back to the people that you're around and the people that have helped you along the way. I, I'm indebted into my roommates, my friends at the University of Maine, my teammates, but also Mike Coots made a huge impact, as I mentioned, and continues to be a good friend today.
0: Awesome, Uh, Andrew. I
2: think you had a Boise. uh, Sorry, a main question, right? Yeah, yeah. I had a couple follow ups. I was looking at your roster at that time, and it looked like you guys had a very stacked team. I think from your uh, the year you got drafted, there was four other teammates that also got drafted.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a guy Andrew Hartung who was a a very good hitter. Um, Didn't really have a position defensively, but back in the day, um, you know, he was mashing balls all over. Uh, we had a junior named Larry Thomas, a left-hander who was very, very talented. Um, you know, it, it was basically that program was very good back in the day. Um, we hosted regionals because back back then they had at large teams like a Mississippi State would come up to University of Maine because they wanted regions to be able to host all these regionals. So that was that was a fun time. We weren't the number one seed in those regionals Uh, but man we had an opportunity to get to uh, then Rosenblatt Stadium and play in the College World Series we never made it we lost in the finals three different years of the four um, that I was there but um, the teammates like I said Andrew uh, Fernando they were um, they pushed us to a level where we earned a lot of respect throughout the country
2: that's great. And it sounds like you made a lasting impression on, uh, on your, on, on uh, the university of Maine. Uh, when well, you... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, cause I saw that you were inducted into the uh, into their sports hall of fame.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's mind blowing because I, I look at some of the, of the players that have played before me um, the talent that was there. When you get recognized like that, I, I I think it's so humbling to realize that you don't play the game for uh those accolades, you play the game for, like I said, the friendships uh the realization of the pride that you have for the University of maine, what they what that university has done for your your life um, in molding you to to being that type of person that you want to be um so i was I was very, very grateful to be honored with that. I had my family come up with me, my mom and dad, who who uh, made the trek up to the University of Maine, which is five hours north of Boston, where we grew up. Um, and they took trips up there every single weekend to see us play. So when you get those type of awards, you realize that it, it it's not an individual award. It's it, it really, I wanted to hand that over to my mom and dad immediately. <laughs> because my mom and dad have done everything for me. My three older brothers, as I mentioned, um, kicked my butt all over the place. If I was playing a pickup basketball <laughs> game or, or flag football outside or whatever you want to do, they kicked my butt to realize this is the way you do it. This is the way it's supposed to be. And um, so honestly, Andrew, those things are very humbling when you get an opportunity to uh, to receive that recognition.
2: Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I couldn't imagine uh, just getting a phone call like that, that that was inducted. Was it something that you knew was on the table beforehand or was it out of the blue?
1: I really didn't. It's something that you don't really expect. Um, but when they did and you're up there and you're you're seeing your name and number on the outfield wall, um, you know, like I said, you don't go to the university to do those things. Um, you try to represent the people that have played before you, including like I mentioned, Mike Coots, he's a former player. Um, I wanted to play up to that respect that they set in, in front of us. I've always done that. I've always tried to represent my family, but also uh, my teammates in, in a way that you're you're supposed to play. So I've always had programs like that, including Halston High School, including University of Maine, that have set a tone for what you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to represent yourself.
2: That's great. Are you sick of sandpaper tongue? Do you prefer your sunflower seeds to be non-GMO, gluten-free, and without all that bullshit MSG? If so, do we have some good news for you. Introducing Chinook Seedery with some of the best sunflower seeds on the market. Be sure to check out all seven of their non-GMO, gluten-free flavors today. To help out Halos in the infield, head on over to HaloSintheinfield.com and click on our sponsor link, Chinook Cedary.
0: All right, so um, after 1991, uh, your season uh, with Maine, you went on to get drafted in the ninth round by the California Angels. Yes. Uh, where You went on to play for the Boise Hawks. In your rookie season, you guys finished 50-26, and 26, which was first place you guys had six major league players on that roster. I guess I should say six guys who ended up being major leaguers and you had the highest batting average on that team that season at 282. Now you were fairly consistent in your time with the angels and four out of your seven uh, minor league seasons with the angels, you batted over 300. So as you're starting to have those really, really consistent years those really good years and they're starting to see what kind of hitter you are. Do you notice an organization maybe starting to treat you? I don't want to say better, but you kind of know that you're starting to be taken really seriously as a prospect. Is that something that goes through your mind or is that something that's just, you know, an afterthought and maybe people might mention it to you, but you're not thinking that way.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting question, Fernando. I, I, I think looking back, um, Tom Kochman was my manager at, in Boise And Tom Kochman was an agent, uh, excuse me. He was a scout, but also um, coached the short season uh, team, which to me, uh, you have people in your lives that that make an impact, but also it it resonates with you. And and when you look back in your minor league career, you wonder who sets the tone. Um, Like you mentioned, six guys on that roster um, played Major League Baseball, some very successful. Our first round pick was Eddie Perez. Eduardo Perez, um, who was a first-round pick out of Florida State. Uh, probably the most humble first-round pick I've ever been around. Um, such a great guy. Uh, obviously, um, his father was famous with the Big Red Machine in Cincinnati, uh, Hall of Famer. So he had reason to, to boast, and obviously being a first-round pick, he was very humble. Um, we had a great team and a great experience in Boise, Idaho. You take six, maybe 10 hour, 14 hours at time uh, bus rides. You get to know all of your teammates and it's such <laughs> a fun time. Um, I say that because you're make, we are making $850 a month. Um, we were renting apartments that were very cheap, but we had four or five guys in the same apartment. Um, I don't even, you look back and you go, how did I do that? But it never seemed like it was hard when we were in it. Um, it seems harder when you, you look back and you say, man, I made $850 a month and 7-Eleven Bean Burritos felt like it was, it was, a, it was a a filet mignon from Morton's. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's how it felt. Um, but I, was, I, I remember this and I, I always felt this, that every single day it was an opportunity. And Tom Kochman, the manager, reminded me of that. He saw me in the outfield one day and he said, Sweeney, he goes, I know you're going to hit. He goes, because you can hit. He said, so I look at you as a fourth or fifth outfielder. And you know what? If we can get you where you can play a little bit of first base, because I was strictly an outfielder at the time. Being left-handed. So I was left-handed thrower, left-handed hitter. And he said, I look at you as a fourth or fifth outfielder. In the big leagues, and and you can make that into a pretty good career. And I said, and I, I'm sitting in single A, short season, wondering if I'm going to get to mid A or high A, A ball, or possibly double A. I wasn't thinking of the big leagues back then, but man, that was nice to hear, because you realize, man, you know what? I'm still dreaming. I'm still a I'm still a kid. You know, I'm 21 years old that I just signed out of college. Um, who knows how long it's going to take? Well, he was right. I made it to the big leagues, obviously. And, and, uh, those, those times in Boise, Idaho, the times that I had in the minor leagues, um, to answer your question, I felt like there were, there were times where I was looked differently because I earned it hitting wise and and doing well hitting wise, but I never felt like, uh, I was one of their guys. Um, you got to remember this was the day of Tim Salmon, Darren Erstad came behind me. They had uh, Garrett Anderson, um, Jim Edmonds. That's a lot of talent. Um, So you're not going to break through with the Angels with that type of talent um, if you're playing the same position. So you had to figure it out. And what I did, Fernando, is I I said to myself all through the minor leagues, it's like, listen, if you hit, they'll find a place for you. You constantly hear that, Um, but I kept on telling myself that and worked on different positioning. And right at the end, when I got traded from the Angels to the St. Louis Cardinals, I tried to make a switch to first base and, and incorporate that. Because switching positions back then was not really encouraged. Um, I was a corner outfielder, right and left field. Um, so I had to figure out a way. Because there's center fielders in your organization to just fly around and catch ball. So you're not going to be playing center field. So I had to figure out a way. To go out there and um, and continue to hit.
0: Viva los Angelitos! This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, we've all been going through a lot. You're not alone, and you know what else? You're not alone in being okay. It is okay to not always be okay. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works and it's proven to work but what is therapy exactly well therapy is exactly what you want it to be maybe you're not feeling motivated today and would like some tools to help or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or even work or maybe you're just not dealing well with stress whatever you need it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because You deserve to be happy, and now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So, you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your, yes, your therapist in under 48 hours. Guys, join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Halos of the infield listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash halos. That's better, hel pcom slash halos. H-A-L-O-S. Viva Los Angelitos! Enjoy the rest of the show. Perfect. So you kind of already alluded to the trade, uh, which was going to be the thing I brought up next. So in July of 1995, you did get traded uh, from the Angels to the Cardinals where you went on to play less than 25 games in uh, for their AAA affiliate. So as I mentioned earlier, you have a podcast called major league beginnings where Mm -hmm. you bring players on to talk about, you know, their first day in the major leagues, what they remember, things like that. So with that being said, it's my turn to ask you August 4th, 1995, Mark Sweeney steps into the plate, stepped up to the plate against Jim Bollinger. Yeah. What do you remember?
1: Uh, I have to go back a little bit because it was probably the greatest day to understand and remember I, what I said about my parents with um, being in the Hall of Fame, inducted in the Hall of Fame at University of Maine. Um, the first phone call was to my mom and dad when I found out. Um, it was four o'clock in the morning. And I'm sitting in Buffalo, New York, playing against uh, for playing for Louisville. We were on the road, and for the two and a half weeks, it was a crash course of playing first base. They even brought some instructors in to try to work with me at first base. So the night before, I have to say this: that I, I didn't do anything with my new teammates. I didn't go out with them. I was just working hard. So I was exhausted after the game, and you're just trying to put in the work. So. That night, my roommate and a couple other guys said, hey, let's go out. And uh, I said, all right, let's do it. So I went out with them and we had a couple drinks. And, and, and why I say that is that I didn't feel too good at four in the morning when I got that phone call. <laughs> and my roommate says, hey, um, it's, it's the trainer. And I get on the phone with the trainer. He said, hey, pack your bags. You're going to the big leagues. And I said, who is this? mindful, I I have, I've only been with them for two and a half weeks, so I didn't really know all the names. So he gives me his real name. And it, and it was Mark O'Neill, our trainer. And he said, this is no joke, get your bags packed and get in the lobby as soon as you can. I met my manager there, I had to go to the field to get all my equipment. And then I got on the plane after I talked to my parents and told them and they said, we're coming. We're coming to St. Louis. So I get on the plane. It was almost like that first breath that you take when you hit the seat. And I hit the seat and I said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to the the big leagues. And I looked to my right and he said, congratulations. It It was the instructor that was sent by the Cardinals to work with me at first base. And he was in first class seat with me. That's awesome. And he says to me, he goes, you earned it. You're going to the big leagues. So fast forward, Fernando, I get to the stadium and I think everyone is going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you know what? Uh, I'm just kidding. You got to go back to Louisville. That's how you feel. You don't really realize that it's, it's coming to fruition until you actually have a moment. And that moment came when I stepped in the locker room. And if anyone's ever been in a major league locker room or seen it, The jerseys are hung up on your locker, your name and number on the back. And it's the most gorgeous thing around because everything is clean. It's not dirty. Everything is pristine. So I walk in this locker room with all my bags. I look around and I see Sweeney number 30 on the back of a jersey. And that's when it really hit me that we were there. So I walk into the manager's office and this was the year Joe Torrey got fired. So we had an intern manager. So I walk into the manager's office and he looked at me like uh, he was going to tell me, uh, you got to go back to Louisville. So I had an uncomfortable feeling. And long story short, he thought it was a guy that got called up two weeks ago because we looked alike. So he was wondering why this (laughs) rookie was in his in his office, probably asking why isn't he pitching so. He looks at me funny, and I said, hi, I'm Mark Sweeney. I'm the, I'm the new player because I haven't met any of these guys. I just got traded two and a half weeks ago from the Angels. So he looks at me, he goes, oh, Mark, he goes, congratulations. Um, he said, we're playing the Cubs. Cubs are a huge rival for the Cardinals. If you don't know, he goes, it's going to be a lot. We've been, we've been losing a lot, but it's going to be excitement. There's going to be 50,000 people at the stadium. And I'm like, wow. And he goes, you're going to be playing all weekend because we want to see what you got. And that was when realization hit that I was going to be playing first base on the turf at old uh, uh, Cardinal Stadium, Bush Stadium. And I I get to realize that I'm getting to play, uh, start all three games. And I sat there, I realized it. Um, During the game, everything was numb. Like you mentioned, uh, facing the, the, the first pitcher, all of the newness. I'm starting to look at this situation, and we had a pitching change in the fifth inning. I'll never forget it. Mike Morgan was starting for us. He gets pulled from the game. I'm holding the guy on at first and talking to the first base coach, mentioning stuff. And I looked down at my jersey and I saw two birds on a bat, the Cardinals uniform, which is absolutely gorgeous. I looked down and I looked up and I saw the 50,000 people for the first time. And I realized, man, this is the most, this is the greatest moment that I could have until after the game, I got to see my mom and dad coming down from the stands and I gave them the biggest hug. I couldn't wait to hug them. Uh, other family members were there. Uh, my three brothers were there. Everyone made it to my first game in the big leagues. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life.
0: That's all awesome, dude. I just listening to the stories, just, you know, everything that everyone always dreamed of as a kid, but you got to live it. So, right. you know, that's absolutely awesome. I can only imagine like the smile that you just probably couldn't, well, you had to probably put effort in not smiling that entire day.
1: <laughs> I, I smiled a lot and I continue to, because it's, it's something that uh, always resonates in my mind.
0: That's absolutely awesome. So in 1997, you were traded from the Cardinals to the Padres and that was just in time for one of the most historic baseball teams ever in uh, San Diego and really Southern California, that Padres team was special. People still talk about that Padres team, you know, growing up in San Diego, uh, you know, my dad's a big Padres fan. So, you know, I, they had the constant celebrations that, that team is just loved by that entire city. So what are some of the things that you remember the most about 1998
1: and you know, our- You know what, Fernando, our relationships that that we built, um, people minimize spring training. Um, I can't because of the 1998 team. Um, We had so much fun during spring training, but we built a chemistry that was undeniable and it kept on snowballing. Um, Kevin Towers, the late Kevin Towers made a trade for Kevin Brown that, that really changed our team. Obviously you have Tony Gwynn, who's the best hitter I've ever seen. You have Ken Caminetti, the 1996 NL MVP. You have Wally Joyner. You, you go all around. And then here comes Greg Vaughn, who hits 50 home runs. And you got the best closer that I've ever seen that's not named Mariano Rivera, I would say, um, coming in, getting the last three outs, and Trevor Hoffman, the Hall of Famer. Um, I could go on and on about those guys. But, man, I, I I tell you what, I was on a magic carpet ride with them. and it, it really puts perspective in everything when you, when you reach that final series. The one thing we didn't do is finish the job, but we, we ran into one of the best Yankee teams I've ever seen, best baseball teams I've ever seen, um, and they deserved it. They swept us in four games. A lot of people minimize that, but man, uh, we ran through the Braves much like the Yankees ran through us. And that was a tough task back in the day because they had Smoltz, Maddox, and Glavin. They had Chipper Jones. They had Fred McGriff. They had so much talent. So that was, if you look back at it, that was kind of our World Series. Um, But, man, it was fun to be in that final game, to be able to to witness all the fans, all the excitement, uh, the San Diego fans that deserved it. Um, That's the reason why I watch this team now and I say, I can't wait for that to happen again, because I want these players to feel the love and the angst that all of these Padre fans have um, to get there again, because it changes your life individually. But um, to this day, we have a text chain going through with 1998 team. We're very close. And um, to answer your question, it changed my life forever.
0: I know Andrew's going to ask a couple of questions here. So I guess I just have one more quick rebuttal. Um, and I know you're not in the business of what if, but do you think that if you didn't run into that, you know, that Yankees team who was arguably the best team of all time, you guys would have done it?
1: Um, you know, uh, Fernando, I don't ever doubt anything we could have accomplished. I, I just, I don't look at things that way. I, I think there's reason for for everything that happens. Um, it was a disappointment that we lost. It was a disappointment that we got swept. But the disappointment changes when you realize all the stuff you do from day one, even individually in the off season, but collectively during spring training, the relationships you have with Greg Vaughn and Wally Joyner and all the guys that have that have stayed, Steve Finley, guys that are around here, um, and being able to tell those stories now that I'm broadcasting and know that people still love that team and still uh, it changed their childhood or or changed their perspective on baseball and, and the Padres. That 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 has a lot of meaning and I don't minimize that at all. I just want people to realize and I wanna take people through those journeys sometimes because as a broadcaster, you get to tell those stories that are untold sometimes and man, is that fun to do. Oh man. It's, it's-
2: Actually, it makes me really happy to hear that you guys are still so close (laughs) from that team. very close. And I know a lot of Padre fans are looking at the 1998 Padres, and they're looking back to 1997, where it's a very similar record, uh, 76 and 86, and wondering if the team can make that jump to be like the 1998 Padres. When was it that you realized that it wasn't going to be a repeat of 1997? Would you say that was uh, spring training?
1: Yeah, I mean, spring training, we created an atmosphere, like I mentioned. But you you have to do it on the field. And we had a very good April. Um, I think it started snowballing. A lot of people don't realize this because they 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 understand what happened at the end. but in in the, in September, we were one of the worst baseball teams in 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 the in baseball. Right? We were losing a lot. We had a big team meeting in Arizona from Bruce Boche, where we hashed everything out. And man, we hit the ground running in the playoffs. We beat a very talented Houston Astros team. Like I said, we beat the, uh, the Atlanta Braves and we earned our right to go to the World Series. Um, that being said, Andrew, um, yeah, you can, you can jump. You can make that difference. It just has to happen where your star players play like stars and you have a couple, a couple guys that play um, probably out of their potential and have career years. And that makes it special. Um, Greg Vaughn hitting 50 home runs was, uh, we didn't expect it. We expected probably 25 to 30, but if you think about that production and how many games he changed and, and we, it put us on the winning side, that's the difference. So does this, does this team now have that ability? They sure do. Um, everyone wants to make changes, but sometimes it's about guys playing to their potential and sometimes stepping out of those that potential in, in playing to your best abilities and playing to uh, even beyond that.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And the, and the Padres do have a lot of stars, just like the 1998 team. They do. So they definitely could. Yeah. I'm just super excited.
1: <laughs> I'm ready to start. <laughs> I, you know what? I always say this because I think a lot of people realize that, you know, when you start talking about 1998, I'm sure some people roll their eyes and go, I'm tired of talking about 1998. I want people to realize, too, when I'm broadcasting, I'm rooting for these guys to go way beyond, and I want them to finish the job. I want every player to put a ring on because you don't sit there and root against them because you lost against the Yankees. I want everyone to celebrate at the end. That's the reason why I love watching the World Series. I love watching the stories that that evolve every single year, and it's a special element of baseball that really um, comes to fruition for me to watch people celebrate and watch how teams grow together and and um, and get to pop that champagne at the end of the year. There's nothing better than celebrating with your teammates. That's great.
0: All right, all right, Mark. So uh, we're going to start winding down here. So last couple of questions. So you mentioned them a little earlier. So Tony Gwynn absolutely one of the best baseball players that most of us have ever gotten to see mm-hmm. what was so different about him. And is there any stories that come to mind that would really encapsulate the kind of man and player that he really was?
1: Yeah. His consistency to me was, was, um, unheard of. We had a, a hitting coach who was very special to me too. His name is Merv Retman. He lives in San Diego here. And his relationship with Tony was undeniable And I was sitting next to him, as a day game. I was sitting next to Merv Rettman on the bench, um, watching Tony's at bat. And it was his first at bat. And I'll never forget this. He said to me, he goes, man, I hope he gets a hit here. And I remember peeking up at the scoreboard at Qualcomm, looking up and and you see the stats on there, it said 338. And I'm sitting there like, uh, I'm sitting here at, at 220. And I'd, I'd love to get a hit today, too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm looking at him like, well, why, why do you say that? And he said, well, he went back home last night. He called me on the way home from the game. And he said his hands aren't in the right position. So he had to make a change. And if you took a picture of him the day before and then that day, you would not have seen anything different. Everything looked the same to me. From a blind eye, everything looked the same. So as I'm watching him, I said, well, what change did he make? He said, well, he just corrected his hands just a little bit. And sure enough, here comes a line drive to left. And he ended up the game. I think he had used he three for four or three for five. Had three hits that day. And when he got the hit, I looked at Merv. I go, well, there's the hit. And he said, well, all it does is reaffirm that his change, it works. Well, we all go through that. But it's the consistency and, and, and what Tony did and his attention to detail was so far beyond everybody else. He didn't analyze everything. He, had, he went by feel. Because I'll tell you this, Fernando, he would hit early batting practice with Steve Finley, with Greg Vaughn and, and Ken Caminiti. Those four always hit early before batting practice. So I'd, I'd go out there and you, and you understand you're not supposed to be hitting out there, but I'd go out there and I'd try to learn something. So I'd go out and watch and he would take a couple rounds. He'd take rounds of 10 and here's Rob Piccolo, our third base coach at the time, was throwing batting practice to these guys and it's, it's just right there. Perfect, perfect batting practice. And Tony took two rounds and then he hit. he went back in for a third round and he hits like three or four line drives and he walks out of the cage. He said, Merv, he looks back at Merv. He goes, I'm done, Merv. And he walks into the locker room. I don't think I've ever seen a hitter not finish his round. Uh, and why I say that is that when you have a round of 10, anyone that's played the game before, you, you want to take 10, you want to take 11, you want to take 12 in that round. Um, he walked out because he knew he was ready. Uh, that readiness. Was every day for him. He had a routine that he did. He worked off a batting tee. He went to the batting cages and did the Iron Mike machine. Um, He had a routine and a feel that he expected every single day. All of us don't do that. All of us try to do it as players, but he did it better than anybody. And that's the reason why he was so consistent. And I'm just thrilled that I had an opportunity to watch him work. On a daily basis, I love the pitchers when they came in the sidearm lefties that would try to come in the specialty lefties back in the day, and he would rope a double in the gap against those lefties. He was just the best hitter I've ever seen play the game of baseball.
0: Yeah, to simply say that he was fun to watch might be an insult. He was one of those guys that as soon as he walked in to the batter's box, you just stopped and you had to watch the at bat because you knew there was a hit coming.
1: Yeah, yeah, Fernando, was one of the it, best. It, it's not it's not uh, fun to watch. It's have to watch. Like, if you're going to be a good hitter, you're not going to be Tony Gwynn. No one's going to be Tony Gwynn. But, man, did you have to watch and understand that his – and we, we always hear about all these new techniques now that are being taught. Well, that best technique was taught unsaid by just me watching Tony Gwynn and how he did it. Watch what he did off the batting tee. He consistently hit line drives to left, consistently off the batting tee. Did he pull the ball correctly? Yes, he did. Um, He taught me without saying a lot. And that's because I wanted to watch. You had to watch. When you see an elite player, a Steph Curry in the NBA, a Mike Trout in in, in baseball, you watch those guys, not to emulate them, but just to realize their consistency is what is amazing.
2: Oh, man, that's just so cool hearing Tony Gwynn stories. I was actually uh, just going on a Tony Gwynn binge this last weekend where I was watching uh, the 1998 um, his, uh, at-bats against Randy Johnson in the yep. uh, NLDS.
1: Yeah. was the line drive
2: to left. Yeah, I was going to. Yeah, after uh, he got rug up on a, a bad pitch, a um, bad call earlier mm-hmm. in the game. I was wondering if you remember anything about that.
1: Yeah, I, you know what? Um, he was never emotional. And if he mentioned something to the umpires, you knew he was right. Because his vision, I would say, Barry Bonds and he could tell if it was a half inch off the plate. Um, they got different strike zones, but they earned it. So when that happened, that scenario happened, I remember that line drive um, and I can visualize it right now. He almost stuck his butt out and threw the barrel of the bat and lined it over. Um, uh, I think it was Spears that was playing left f- uh, third base, but he shoots it in the left field. And against Randy Johnson, nothing is easy when you're left-handed. So to be able to do that, it just it, it added a little spark to our dugout that I thought was was really cool. Oh, that's awesome.
0: All right, Mark. So uh, last two here. So some players only get one opportunity in the majors. You've almost gotten a second one, being able to be a part of the broadcast booth. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you enjoy about uh, broadcasting?
1: Well, just just being able to tell stories about the game of baseball to to make sure that fans understood how fortunate I was, but also how fortunate the guys that are playing are. I try to uh, take people into the locker room at times. Um, I try to um, take people into the batter's box. Sometimes what you're, what you're thinking. Um, but man, like I mentioned earlier, Fernando, it's, it's about telling stories and about all the people, including Mike Coots back in University of Maine, including Tom Kochman at Boise, Idaho. All of those messages and, and lessons that were taught to me, I get to say it. During the broadcast, I get to tell all the people that took time to lend to me to mold me as a player, um, always comes out. And that's what makes it encouraging that I get to do. Um, I am not doing it uh, solely to get um, notified, you know, recognized around town, which is very humbling to me. I do it because I love the game of baseball. there's so many people that were around, including like Mark Gubazov from the Angels. I absolutely love him. So I listen to broadcasts now and I hear how they they do the games, how they talk about baseball, how they encourage um, fans to realize it's not just the stars, it's the compliment players, it's the relief pitchers, it's the guys that um, that, that develop chemistry that make teams special. Um the, the Shohei Otani. Um, whole year last year was so fun and magical to watch and be able to do. So to be able to broadcast in the major leagues is an honor um, to do it with a good friend of mine and Mike Pomeranz on the, on the pre and post game show and to be around all the talented people that are in the game of baseball. I absolutely love it. And I'm thrilled to do it.
0: All right, so you mentioned him right now, and uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. This is an Angels podcast. So let's pretend here that we're having a fantasy draft and you are the general manager of a team. You got to pick between only one of them. Are you starting a franchise with Shohei Otani or Fernando Tatis Jr.?
1: I'm starting with Fernando Tatis Jr., and I'll tell you why. And it's not anything against Shohei Otani. I think you can't go wrong with either two. I'm doing Fernando Tatis Jr. because I I feel like this team this this game needs emotion. This game needs to to see the excitement and almost being a little kid out there when you have supernatural uh, natural talent. Um, both of them bring a presence. Both of them bring obviously a talent. And you're looking at Shohei, and people are probably saying, "Well, he does both sides. He's he's a." unbelievable pitcher and he's an unbelievable hitter and that is the truth but i want i want emotion and that's the reason why i'll give a slight edge to fernando because he does it with a smile he does it with a flair excitement um he loves the game and i think uh that's what you need more of but that being said though fernando we need a world game and i think shohei has solidified that to the fullest. And he's given encouragement for guys that are out there that can pitch and hit, you have that ability. And also gives you the excitement of saying, you know what, Uh, wouldn't that be cool to get him in the lineup, play him at first base? Why not do it if if you can do it occasionally? I would love to see it because all it does is change the game. He changed the game for the better last year in Shohei. It was so fun to watch. But I think the game's in good hands with the talent that you had, that you have and that choice.
0: And you know, uh, one thing that I will say um, and kind of agree with you is uh, I, I do agree. Fernando Pentez Jr. Uh, does bring a lot of energy. I've been on record multiple times on this show uh, in saying that I believe that we're starting to hit a new era of baseball. And this is no disrespect to previous generations, but I think right now we are entering a truly golden age of baseball. There is so much talent. We are now starting to see, you know, players play with emotion and it makes the game fun. You mm-hmm. know, uh, the younger guys, you know, like people who are my age are, are now starting to get into the game of baseball. I loved this game since I was a kid, but not a lot of other, you know, millennials and uh, Gen Zers like the game. So it's nice to see that the younger generation is now starting to embrace the game of baseball as it's starting to get more exciting because of guys like Tatis, Otani, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. So it's certainly a fun time to be alive and be a baseball fan.
1: Yeah, Fernando, and it's our job to to uh, put that in the laps of fans. Um, to uh, and I, I always think this as a broadcaster, enhance the game as much as possible. Obviously, you want you're rooting for your home team, um, but when you start looking at Buster Posey coming in for the Giants, and you start looking at Trey Turner coming in. And Mookie Betts coming in for the Dodgers and they're coming in. I I think you enhance the game. I enhance, enhance the stars. Uh, That's what this game needs. Uh, It needs to be encouraged. And, and I think sometimes that's our job. Yes. You have fans that, that, that hate the opposition and I'm fine with that, but I really believe that, that this game has to be built uh, on the excitement and the talent that is on the field every single night.
0: Mark Sweeney joining us here on the Halos in the infield podcast. Mark, we are so thankful for your time. Where can our fans or listeners find you uh, if they want some more Mark Sweeney content?
1: Um, well, I, I, I'm thinking about it. The Instagram is uh, I have to look at it. Unfortunately, that's the way I got to do it. Uh, Sween dog. 9 on Instagram. Um, I do a lot of posts. It's, it's a lot of family posts, but I do uh, stories, all that stuff. Also, um, we have a podcast called Major League Beginnings, as you mentioned, I've had a lot of fun, great stories. You can go on any um, podcast platform and find it, majorleaguebeginnings.com on our website. So um, just want to get baseball back on the field and, and encourage that and, and have a lot of fun watching the talent on the field, like I mentioned
0: absolutely make sure to check out major league beginnings we'll leave uh, an episode of his link down below as well as a a link to their social media uh we repost their stuff all the time it's a great show they've had a lot of uh, former angels on uh they've had a lot of uh, episodes that i like listening to i was actually listening to one this morning so mark once again on behalf of all of us here at halos in the infield thank you so much for the time andrew do you have anything you want to say to mark before he heads out
2: yeah yeah uh thank you so much for coming on uh like I said, biggest fan for the longest time. Memories going back to 1998. Then you know, watching you in the broadcast booth. This has been the coolest experience.
1: Well, Fernando and Andrew, I'm 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 blessed to be a part of it, and thank you for having me on. And uh, uh, I'm always rooting for the Angels. They have my uh, they have my good friend uh, Phil Nevin on their staff now. I love Joe Madden. Um, obviously, the talent on the field is, speaks volumes is going to make them look better. But I, I encourage the uh, the Angel fans to go out there and watch, but also when the Angels are playing the Padres, I'm going to have to stick with uh, my my <laughs> choice, Fernando. I'm going to have to go Fernando <laughs> Tatis Jr.
0: That's why I, yeah, I normally give you a hard time. I try to go down there whenever you guys are whenever they're playing each other. You know, it's fun to have that little rivalry with you.
1: Yeah, it's a good atmosphere, and I love to do it. I I, I encourage all of them to come down and uh, to Petco and see this beautiful stadium.
0: All right, once again, Mark Sweeney joining us. Thank you so much, Mark.
1: Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on.